Coming up on Salt City Code, we kick off our brand new series, Catching Up with Careers in Code, where we speak to instructors, founders, and students of the first cohort of Careers in Code. On this episode, we chat with Hack Upstate and Upstate Interactive co-founder Doug Crescenzi about his experience with academia and why he ultimately chose to become an entrepreneur, how he helped launch Careers in Code, and the importance of connecting with your local tech community. My name is Karen Thorne. And I'm Kelly Corey. And together, we are Salt City Code. We'd like to take a minute to say thank you to our sponsor, Hack Upstate, for supporting Salt City Code. Hack Upstate's mission is to unite and facilitate collaboration among the greater upstate New York technology community. Twice a year, Hack Upstate organizes weekend hackathons. Developers and innovators from across central New York come to Syracuse to form teams, build projects, and win amazing prizes. It's all in 24 hours, and it's free to attend. Want to learn more? Visit hackupstate.com and get ready to code. Audio note. This episode is our first ever remote recording. I didn't realize until editing that my microphone had been recording through my headphones instead of my actual microphone. I sound like I am screaming through a tin can, so I apologize in advance for my audio quality. Start out how, like... How did you get into tech? What what led you to getting like how old were you? How you know, was it something that you had always thought about or was it you were in the middle of school and you're like, uh, yeah, I'm changing? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, for me it was right around like eighth grade, I would say. So we're talking nineteen ninety-eight. So of course I'm dating myself, but the way I got into it was do you guys remember America Online, AOL? Oh yeah. 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 I remember the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. The disc, the free 500 hours or whatever it was, yep. dial-up modems and everything. So myself and a buddy, you know, we we were messing around at AOL, and again, we're eighth graders, so we're starting to get acclimated with the internet. What's this whole thing about, right? It was early days at that time, but AOL was unique in that it was kind of this portal or gateway to the internet, but it had all these additional services, including instant messaging and whatnot. My buddy, he was he's a really sharp guy, um, and for whatever reason, we we just kind of fell in love with this whole you know, internet thing. And we're like, wow, this is really neat. And we just kind of kept diving deeper and deeper. And then eventually we got to the point where we were starting to write code um, in Visual Basic, just messing around. And in parallel, we were starting to meet other software engineers. And I wouldn't even call them software engineers. I'd call them young people that were starting to write code uh, like us. And what we came to realize was back then on AOL, we had uncovered a number of like weird vulnerabilities with their software. And some of these vulnerabilities would allow you to quote unquote punt someone offline. And so we, we built these things called punters um, where you could put in someone's screen name and it would kick them offline. And of course this is dial up mode on time, right? So what a nightmare you get booted and then you got to dial up again. It's such a nightmare, but we got the biggest kick out of this, right? Like, you know, we're, we're eighth graders. So we thought it was so funny, but what was crazy was one of them that we built went viral. And of course this was before viral was a word or a term. Awesome. And it spread like crazy. And consequently, these people are using these things to punt people offline. It became this big ordeal. Eventually, we AOL kicked us off their account. They, they were able to fingerprint us and determine it was us. Wow. This thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember I remember my father. I came home one day, or my father came home one day, and he was not happy. And I'm like, uh-oh, something, something's not right here. And uh, yeah, so we got booted offline. We got all these uh, legal notes and whatnot. And it became this whole thing, right? And uh, you know, looking back, it's pretty silly and pretty funny. But 
Um, my father, you know, he, he was very cool about it and, and kind of embraced it. And a week later, he came back with this book by Cliff Stahl called The Cuckoo's Egg. And it's, it's a cybersecurity book, basically. It's about this Berkeley okay. professor um, out in LA. He notices a issue in like billing for internet time, I think, or whatever. But it was off like a few pennies or something silly. And he's able to trace this whole thing back to this hacker in Germany. And it kind of walks through that whole story and how he uncovered it. And it was a really fascinating book. But I, after that, I fell in love with cybersecurity. And that's ultimately how I made way into Syracuse and was kind of focused on that um, throughout undergrad and grad school. It led me to Washington, D.C., working for a defense contractor down there called MITRE. Great company, really smart people, good people. Um, and down there, I was doing some penetration testing and then also working with these things called cross-domain solutions, which are essentially systems used to facilitate classified information sharing between different classification levels. So Kelly, if you're on a top secret secret network, but you want to send me an email on a secret network, it would go through a cross-domain solution to get there to make sure you're not sending something classified to me that I shouldn't see or have access to, et cetera. At the same time, if I want to send something up to you, we want to make sure I'm not sending you malware or viruses or whatever. Um, So that was what I was working on down there for a number of years. Then 2011, I thought that I wanted to get into academia. And really? I, yeah. So I actually got into um, and started a PhD program at the Syracuse High School. And so I started going on that path. And at the same time, I was starting to meet some, some folks in Syracuse that were very entrepreneurial and starting to mess around with starting companies and stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. So in, in February of 2012, I actually went to the dean's office, uh, Dean Liddy at the time, Liz Liddy, who's amazing. Uh, she's an entrepreneur herself, but she also, of course, was an academic, right? She had a PhD and she was the, the mm-hmm. dean of the high school. And I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to put this whole PhD thing on hold and, and you know, go, go down this entrepreneurial pathway. Uh, right. But I was terrified at the time. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I'm throwing my future away. What am I doing here? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. She's going to yell at me. They just gave me this opportunity and I'm blowing it. She was amazing. She was so encouraging. And she said, yeah, go do it. And, you know, we're going to keep your, your spot here. So you can always come back if you'd like. Uh, so they kept me enrolled, which was amazing. Um, and she was just a great mentor along the way. And so that, that's how I kind of found my way into that, the entrepreneurial side of things. And then shortly thereafter, started Hack Upstate and then Upstate Interactive and kind of went off from there. But it's like you're almost Dr. Dougie. Yeah, well, I didn't get very far. I only made it about a year into the PhD program. So I, I had a few more years left. But yeah, I mean, that's why you get a PhD, right? So people can call you doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Would you ever go back? Uh, It's funny. I've been asked that a lot before. So academia is so different than uh, than the entrepreneurial world. Um, You're out there. uh, Research is your focus, right? You got to publish as often as you possibly can in in the best journals you possibly can. And that's kind of how you live or die. Teaching is actually secondary, really, as far as the focus goes. Um, And I love the teaching part, but that wasn't, that's not the priority there. So I could see myself, if I was, you know, if... Maybe in a few years from now, if, you know, some of these ventures work out well um, and, you know, I can just kind of relax. And I mean, I love learning, right? And it was a cool environment to learn. Um, But I don't think long-term academia wouldn't be for me. It'd be more so about it like a a learning exercise, working with faculty there, going down uh, what it really takes to be an in-depth researcher in that world. I think I would would enjoy that part of it and learning from it. But long-term, I couldn't see myself being an an academic. So really more of an entrepreneur then just keep on building businesses from the ground up. But. Yeah. And I think the reason being, it's just uh, faster feedback loops um, in that 
you okay. can make mistakes, learn faster and grow faster, I would argue. Whereas in academia, things move a little bit slower, like review processes, getting someone to review your work, all that stuff. So yeah, I just, I, I, I'm definitely one of these people is probably better suited for the, the entrepreneurial track versus the academic track. So really good self-awareness. <laughs> Thank you. So speaking of Hack Upstate, we heard that uh, you're launching Hack Rochester yeah. this year, which is very exciting. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit about founding that? Yeah. So th- this is one of these things. It was it's about eight months in the in the works, believe it or not. So April last year, I got lunch with um, Nasser, uh, who I think you guys know. I believe um, Nasser is amazing. He's he started Upstate Venture Connect about ten years ago. And he's just oh. done great work for Central New York's entrepreneurial community and, and, and the folks involved. And so we were getting lunch in Rochester. He had actually just moved to Rochester from Syracuse. And we were grabbing food and, you know, we were talking about heck upstate and kind of what was on the agenda. And he's like, dude, we got to put you in touch with some folks here in Rochester and see if we can get something going here as well. And okay. so he was amazing at making introductions to folks in last May, May or June. Um, we started kicking around the idea. How can we do it? Is there a good venue for it, et cetera? And yeah, slowly but surely it's kind of come together. And April 18th and 19th, Rochester's first federal building. It's a very cool space, an amazing space. Okay. If you guys have been to Rochester before, in downtown, there's this there's this building and there's a circular, it looks like a flying saucer on top. And it used to be a restaurant that would rotate around um, mm-hmm. back in, I think, the 70s or 80s. But now there's a company there, a company called Omni ID, which was recently acquired by Panasonic. Uh, and it's this amazing oh. space, windows everywhere. So we're going to have the event there. It should be should be awesome. We're, we're looking forward to wow. it. Hack Upstate is proud to announce the inaugural Hack Rochester event. It takes place April 18th and 19th, 2020, in the first Federal Plaza building in Rochester, New York. Hackers can form teams, build projects, and win prizes all within 24 hours. For more information, go to hackrock.com. That's H-A-C-K-R-O-C dot com and sign up now. Living from living from Syracuse to Rochester, what was the, the driving force behind that? I mean, yeah. it's not that far, really, you know, of a drive when you think about, you know, sometimes when you talk to people and they'll say, oh, my God, an hour and a half, that's like forever. Well, no, not really. It's like, it's boom, it's right there. Dude, here it's enough. An hour and a half. Yeah, so that's yeah. one thing that's so funny. So having lived in D.C., having lived in New York City for a number of years, and you get acclimated with the traffic in those regions, you know, driving an hour and a half might be normal for someone's commute, right? And so driving from Syracuse to Rochester, Rochester, Buffalo, it's nothing. I love upstate New York for that, that we can get to the different regional areas very easily. Um, So Karen, for your question, um, so after grad school, we left, we went down to DC as I, I touched on briefly, then back to Syracuse for the PhD. Then we left again and we were down in New York City for about three or four years. And then we came back to Rochester uh, because my wife has family here. We knew we wanted to start a family. We knew that'd be really challenging in New York. It, it just wasn't the right fit for us. All upstate New York, and we knew that we wanted to to do you know start a family up this way. And really, it just came down to my wife's family was here, um, and we decided to to come out to, to Rochester to live. Which makes sense. Yeah, it's been great. It's a great town, great community. I'm of course a little bit partial to Syracuse, right? Having grown up there, but right. Love Rochester. The people here are great, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a nice five years living here. Yeah, it takes some it takes some used to to getting uh, driving out there in Rochester. You can definitely go in circles and not know it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. I because I did a lot of driving out there for my job. You know, it was like, oh, 
And then I also realized too, that like, depending on where you're at um, and you get off, you know, the GPS always takes you one way. And then I realized, well, if I just go down to the next one, it puts me that much closer. Like, why, why are you making me get off and go all the way around? <laughs> it takes, takes some getting used to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know, what's funny is like, there's so many similarities and overlaps between Rochester and Syracuse, um, particularly in the last 10 years, which has been really cool to see is that in Syracuse, there's been a real influx of millennials into downtown Syracuse um, mm-hmm. itself, uh, which is awesome. Um, you know, folks are, are working downtown now. That wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. And they're coming there for culture and convenience, right? Um, you know, what yeah. a nice city will offer. Uh, and similarly, that's that's happening in Rochester as well. And it, it's kind of happened in the last 10, 15 years. And in the last two, or at least in the last year, there's two companies here in particular that are relocating technology companies that are relocating downtown from the suburbs. One is ITX, a really large software consultancy run by Ralph Dandria, who's an amazing CEO. He's done a great job growing that company over the last however, probably 20 years or so. And what's the other company? There's another company that's moving downtown too. And it escapes me now. Um, but it's a consequence of young people, young, talented, up and coming professionals wanting to live downtown for that, that culture and that convenience. So it's, it's great to see. So I wanted to ask you about like the tech meetups. Are there weekly tech meetups like there are in Syracuse? Yeah, there are. And to be honest with you, I have done a poor job okay. getting involved in the ones here. I've been to a few of them, um, but I haven't been as, as committed as I'd like. But what's, what is great is every time you go, it's encouraging, right? And, and there's always mm-hmm. energy amongst the folks that are there. And just as we've, we, and I kind of put on the hack upstate hat here for a moment, um, yeah. As you guys know, like it's really important for us to invest in the dev community, right? Through sponsorship and whatever. So, like this podcast, I bel- and correct me wrong, I'm pretty sure we're sponsors, right? And so yeah. we, <laughs> we take yeah. a lot of pride in, in in sponsoring these different organizations and entities mm-hmm. and people. Really, fundamentally, it's it's people because it's it's for the best, right? It's for the best in the community. You guys all grow and learn, and we all grow collectively. Yeah. And, and these network effects are so profound and so valuable. One thing Jesse and I need to, to focus on here, and we're starting, is investing in more of these other communities here in Rochester. Um, okay. And so there, we were just chatting with folks yesterday. Um, there's a group, they have a, a Rochester startup grind. And it's a lot of young founders that are kind of getting their first taste of, of entrepreneurial um, efforts and whatnot. And so for, for us, it seems like a great fit, right? We have this really nice yeah. tech community. And perhaps there might be opportunities to pair some some folks or facilitate connections with some of the technologists in our community, with some of the entrepreneurs in their community, and see if we can pair some some technical co-founders with some of their their CEOs that are getting their companies off the ground. So we definitely want to start investing in more of these efforts here in Rochester too. Um, but at the same time, we'll, we'll certainly plan to double down in Syracuse in, in the next few years as well. Are you planning to expand to any other cities upstate now that you know we've got Syracuse is going, Rochester is coming up? You guys going to like Utica? You know, yeah. yes, there, there's some really, really, really exciting things in the pipeline um, that I can't really get into now um, that sure. are probably, they're moving slowly now, but I, we're going to get to a point where they, they ramp up pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, so to answer your question, yeah, we do plan on uh, getting a few more initiatives off the ground in a few other upstate locations as well. Excellent. Glad to hear that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we're excited. And, and really, I should... Uh, I'll take a moment here. Just as you guys know, Jesse Poplinski, who is amazing and he's just done an yeah. unbelievable job helping to, to identify these opportunities and really take advantage of them. Um, so he's just been instrumental in this effort to kind of start to scale things and, and find more opportunities with other upstate communities. 
But again, I mean, that's it. we have this unbelievable community comprised of all these great people. And it's, it's so awesome to see how everyone's kind of developing and evolving uh, year mm-hmm. after year and just kind of growing. And, 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 you know, again, it's these network effects, right? And we're all kind of feeling yeah. them and it's, it's kind of elevating everybody. Are you ready to get some hands-on tech experience? Hack Up State 15 will take place on April 4th and 5th in Syracuse, New York. Come join a team and build a project from scratch in 24 hours. All skill levels are welcome, from hackathon winners to complete beginners. Go to hackupstate.com slash events slash XV for more information and register now. I wanted to ask you, uh, what's the backstory behind Careers in Code? Like, how did this all come about? Yeah, yeah, good question. So Hack Up State, as you guys know, we started, that was seven years ago. And those first few years, it was just the events and these hackathons and, and building this community in an effort to advance Upstate New York's tech community. And then in 2017, my attorney on the, I shouldn't say my, our attorney on the Upstate Interactive side, a really great guy, Mark Willatis, um, okay. who's got a great firm in East Syracuse on Fly Road. He, he came into my office. It's funny. He kind of just threw this stack of papers at me. He's like, look at that. And I look at it and it was essentially an RFP from the Alliance for Economic Inclusion to uh, essentially provide them with proposals to stand up initiatives to combat poverty. It was pretty open-ended um, in that it didn't have like a particular uh, focus really. It was just, this is the problem we're trying to solve, i.e. poverty. What can we do about it? And so as before Mark had kind of come in my office and kind of threw that that you know that proposal in my way, um, we had talked a little bit about how these coding boot camps that were springing up were really really interesting models for building up a, a tech force or a tech workforce pretty quickly, pretty expeditiously. Um, and we we did kick around the idea. Well, we wondered, you know, is there is there a way we could get something like this off the ground in Syracuse? Um, and that's ultimately how he, he knew. Okay, once he saw that, to, to feed it my way. Within a day or two after seeing it, uh, kicking around the idea of standing up the boot camp here um, and getting some pretty positive feedback from folks, we just went after it and, and you know applied for the grant, put together a proposal, and we're really fortunate to be awarded. Yeah, we yeah. wouldn't be here if it, that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So tell uh, <laughs> County Executive Ryan McMahon that you know you're grateful for the opportunity. We certainly are. And uh, he'll, he'll appreciate that, I'm sure. But uh, with something like this, with a boot camp, where we can give someone the skills they need that they can apply for the rest of their lives, right? And continue to grow. And as you guys know, like we, we, we gave you a baseline, a foundation. It wasn't to teach you everything. It wasn't, by, you know, that's impossible. Nor was it to give you something that would sustain you throughout your career. It was a baseline. And it was to help kind of show you, okay, here's how you can learn to grow as a software developer over time. So you, you kind of have those skills to grow yourselves now that you've seen it, seen how other people have done it, you've built that network. And, and you know, that's much more profound than like a short-term ad hoc ephemeral opportunity. Like there, there's sometimes where economic development initiatives are focused on short-term gains versus like long-term sustainability. Right. Whereas we're giving you guys skills and careers or helping to you find careers like that that can sustain you long-term and better position you to provide for your families, to get them excited about writing code, that sort of thing. So I think we're, we're fortunate that, you know, one, we have all the support from the community and two, that we had the opportunity to find great people like you who are just, you know, smart, savvy, talented people willing to persevere, put in the time and grow and learn. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience. I, I have to agree with that hundred percent. I mean, I, there, it, 
if you listen to our last episode, we, we talk about that and how much we have changed and, and not just in our careers, but even in like our personal life. Yeah. Dude, I, I can't tell you how nice it is to hear that. It's for me, it, it's kind of the other side of the token. It, it's probably the most, it is, it's, it's the most profound thing I've taken part of in, in my professional life and certainly the most rewarding. Uh, so it's nice to hear you guys have kind of the, the same takeaway as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a year ago today, I went to my first ever tech meetup and it was a women in coding and I sat there and I barely talked to anyone. And, I was <laughs> and now like a year later, I do this podcast and I'm on the women in coding leadership team. And like, I just, you know, I go to meetups on the regular and it's really been great for me professionally and like personally. So, yeah. you know, And who knows, like, who knows where you guys are going to be in five years or 10 years? Like, it's no. crazy. Like you, this, we're just a year in, we're a few months in. You guys graduated, what, five, six months ago? Like it's yeah. just started. Like you guys uh, have yeah. just crazy, crazy bright futures ahead of you. And again, these, these values um, or the value from programs like this, they, they compound over time. They're not ephemeral. They're not short term. Uh, yeah. So I, I can't wait to see where you guys are going to be. And I don't want to rush ahead, but I can't wait to see where you guys are going to be in five years. Um, is there anything that you would do differently with another cohort? Yeah, I'm sure there's a few things. Um, I'm trying to think nothing really jumps off the page. Like, well, so Jesse and I treat careers in code very much like a, a, a software product in that we constantly want to be iterating and refining it. And, and one thing, so you guys know this, like we are constantly soliciting feedback um, with those surveys and whatnot. And I know a lot of times people get surveys and, you know, maybe they're ignored or whatnot, but we review those things all the time and talk about them all the time. And we wanted to be able to demonstrate actionable items associated with the feedback we're getting that could improve the program. You guys know better than us how to improve the program. So it was really important for us to get your feedback, your insight, and then to be able to act upon it with informed decisions from your feedback. So I think if we can figure out how to get more of that feedback uh, without you know, dragging you guys down because you have plenty on your plate, that'd be amazing. Being able to get into Corrosion Code fast forwarded me to a spot where I, I wanted to be and mm. needed to be. Mm. Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. And, and just kind of looking at things kind of strategically, so what we care about the most is getting as many outcomes as possible, as many folks trained as possible and working to help f- them find you know, really good opportunities with local employers. We want more and more and more of those. So how do we, how do we get those? If we, if we risk messing with things too much in this remote piece here or this peer base there, I think we could risk reducing some of the, those, the community building side, right? And I think if we want to get more of these outcomes, we need to really value and, and do whatever we can to amplify the network effects that come from the community that we're building. So the way I kind of see it, I'm a visual learner. I kind of see, So we started this first cohort, right? There was 11 of you guys, and you guys did a great job. Maybe in this next cohort, we have 15 or 20. And then if we keep having these, these modified cohorts and these network effects continuing to compound, the way I see it as far as like value being introduced to the community, it's kind of like a, it's like a bell curve you know, or it's kind of like exponential growth. It, it, we move slowly at first, right? Yeah. But eventually we're going to reach a tipping point with all these network effects where just the value is, you know, unquantifiable at a local level. So that's that's kind of where my head's at, big picture strategic. And uh, yeah, I guess, so Kelly, your initial question, what would we change about Cruise Code? I don't know yet. Like we'll, we'll tinker with things, but it might be more clinical on, on the, the edges versus like a really robust just from my experience, when I was working and, and going through the program, I can tell you that not just in Syracuse are people looking for that opportunity. I was at an office in Oneida, and I was telling the woman, 
you know, oh yeah, I'm you know, like I'm done by here. I have to leave because I have class and I have to get back to Syracuse. And she's like, what are you doing? And I told her, and I said, it's my way to get out of doing this. You know, not that this job is horrible, but it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Right. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I go they're, they're you know, they're going to try and do another one next year. And I gave her Jesse's information. I'm like, get a hold of Jesse. He'll play all, all the information you need. Go to the Hack Up State website. And she was like, I would drive to Syracuse every day if I could get into something like that. And wow. She was from Oneida. So there are people that are in the outer line that are willing to come for them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and it's, so as you guys know, you guys did such a great job and people have heard about it. And we have a waiting list for the next cohort that continues to grow and grow and grow every day. I mean, it's crazy. Right. And that's just all word of mouth. Just like Karen, you you mentioned it to your friend. That that's happening on multiple fronts. So yeah, it's it's awesome to hear that. And and you're right that there's there's folks that are are kind of willing to make that sacrifice, that commitment because the long term value is 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 crazy, right? It's a short term yeah. investment of your time and your energy and your your hustle and your grit. And it's hard. Like we we all know how hard it is. But it's a it's it's for that long term gain that, that you get for the rest of your life. And uh, yeah, it's hard to put a, a price tag on that. And it's certainly hard to put a limit on on that initial upfront investment of time that you'd be willing to make. Yeah. So super big picture. You know, would love to see careers and code continue to grow and maybe even like spread careers and code to like Rochester or you know Utica or wherever else. Yeah, that's to get multiple cohorts or you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the goal. We want we want more and more outcomes throughout upstate New York, and we have a beachhead in Syracuse because we're we're mostly ingrained in that community. We're trying to build out this Rochester side. We're talking to folks in in. uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to say something I shouldn't say, but we're having conversations with other folks in in other communities. Um, So yeah, we we just want to do whatever we can to create more and more outcomes and and to train more and more people uh, like yourselves because you guys are out there, right? It's we, we just found 11 of you guys and you guys were amazing. And we just know there's, there's hundreds, thousands throughout upstate New York, similar to you guys that just need the right opportunity and the right fit. And we want to be there to, to accommodate and provide that opportunity. Yeah. I think that would be huge. But again, like a lot of this, we were fortunate, right. In that we were, we were lucky to get this grant. We were lucky to have this amazing community and all the support. And we were lucky to find like a great cohort of students and it, it kind of, everything just came together. So we got to make sure that we kind of, we don't risk, um, reducing the quality on any of those fronts. I'd rather be really, really slow and methodical with how we quote unquote scale versus mm-hmm. trying to be crazy with it. So we'll continue to be, you know, slow and, and again, clinical. Well, right. You almost have to though, because I mean, just from a different standpoint, because they're not even related, but like retail, you know, you see a store, you know, they do kind of, they do fairly well. And then all of a sudden, well, now they're opening up stores all over and then guess what? Well, now they're closing because they open too many too fast. Yep. Right. You know, and so you and, don't want to get into that. So it makes sense, you know. Like, yeah. And we, see, you see, with startups all the time too that are venture backed, they raise all this money, yeah. and, and their investors want them to scale rapidly, and so they pump all that capital into the growth and whatnot. And a lot of times, it just flames out. It doesn't really go anywhere. They they, they raise too much money, and there's no like a viable acquisition opportunity for them or, or real mm-hmm. viable exit because they took on too much money too early. We, we just rather be really slow and methodical, make sure we have a really good um, system in place for scaling these cohorts out um, and just kind of, I don't want to say take our time because we want those outcomes, but we just want to be really, really cognizant of how important it is not to, not to risk reducing the value of the program. 
Would you like to go from zero to full-stack web developer in 24 weeks? Karen and I did. We're graduates of the first cohort of Careers in Code, a coding boot camp also sponsored by Hack Upstate. Learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and more from awesome instructors and incredibly patient TAs. If you're ready to change your career, sign up for the second cohort waitlist at careersincode.org. You can also sign up for the Hack Up State Careers in Code monthly newsletter to receive updates, upcoming events, and job opportunities. That's careersincode.org. So how do you split your time between the two companies, between Hack Up State and Upstate Interactive? And yeah. when you when you started with both of them, were you were you actually like coding or have you been strictly like administrative side of them both for the most part? Yeah, good good question. So as far as kind of like the breakdown of a typical week, my I'd mostly I'm like 40, 45 hours upstate interactive and then probably about 10, 15 hack upstate. Um, and that's a because I'm so fortunate to be, you know, working closely with Jesse, who's amazing and he can um, put more time into it. So on the hack upstate side, I am more strategic, big picture, um, cheerleader guy and then like networking guy, um, nice. lunches and whatnot, grabbing beers with people and all that stuff. Jesse mm-hmm. is amazing at systems and operations and keeping things on the mm-hmm on track. So our, our, our skill sets complement each other very well. And he's a very depth communicator and, and great socially as well. On the Upstate Interactive side, I love writing code. I don't get to do it nearly as much as I'd like. So Karen, typically I get to write about 20 hours of code every week, I would say. I wish it was more, but that's like the max. And then the other 20, 25 on the Upstate Interactive is like sales, business development primarily and marketing, uh, like managing a, a marketing team. So yeah, that, that's kind of how the breakdown is right now. And then when we started Hack Upstate, at that point I was kind of doing everything. So I was writing like building the website, writing the code for that and marketing and soliciting sponsorships and event organization, all that stuff. So it kind of and then I was fortunate enough to be able to work with Jesse and he's helped a lot on those fronts. Yeah, he's a great asset. Um the three of you make a really great team. So also shout out to Will who is Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah we've neglected uh yeah Will is amazing too. And Mm -hmm. Again, it's it's hard. Will is what seventeen or eighteen? Uh, congrats, yeah. Yeah, congrats to Will. He just made his decision on college. I believe he's headed to UVM, uh, Vermont, which is great. But yeah, so Will is amazing too. And and when you have a mission driven entity like Hack Upstate, good people gravitate to it, right? And they commit to it because they believe in the mission, and and that's what we're all about. And and Will kind of fit that mold. Oh, so you mentioned that you wish you did more coding throughout the day. So I was kind of curious, um, what languages do you code in? Yeah, so my, if I'm going to try to like walk through. So I started with Visual Basic a million years ago, then got into C, C++ um, throughout college and into grad school. And uh, when I was down in DC, mostly messing around with those and some Java. And then, yeah, so that was a little while ago. We're probably talking about 10 years ago. Um, 10 or 12 years ago. And then um, got into Ruby. Love, love, love Ruby. Love Ruby. Um, that It's crazy to see how that language has really lost momentum at the time. It was like the cool thing to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. Yeah, but it's a beautiful language and um, Rails is a really nice framework. So I was doing the Ruby and Rails for a bit uh, and then transitioned into the blockchain stuff, which required uh, Solidity, which is kind of a unique uh, well, it's very similar to JavaScript, actually. It's tightly scripted um, language. And then, so today, uh, pretty much just JavaScript and, and Solidity is what I mess around with for the most part. 
Yeah, I don't know what happened with Ruby. I feel like in like even if uh, it's like 2017 when I started looking into like, oh, maybe tech is a thing I want to do. People were still talking about Ruby on Rails. Like that was a language I considered learning in 2017. You know, and I feel like now you know, it's like JavaScript or nothing. Yeah. I guess if, yeah, if, if I were to, one thing I'm kind of drawn to a little bit is Python. Like I would, I would love, to, yeah, I would love to play around with Python more and, and get some more experience with that under my belt. The syntax is pretty, is somewhat similar to Ruby, but just everyone I talk to that is a Python person, like they are so passionate about Python and they talk about all the value and it seems like it'd be uh-huh. a fun, fun language to get into, particularly with like all of this data that's out there nowadays and parsing through yep. it. So it'd be fun to to dabble with Python and, and R in particular, I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anybody out there listening is interested in a Syracuse Python meetup, let's make yeah. it happen. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to learn Python and would love to have a group of people to talk with it about. Yeah. Hack Up State will sponsor. So if anyone wants to take a lead, let's do it. So you look at, you're, you're getting all these people to start meetups, Kelly. We got, there's a, who, who was doing the Vim meetup and now you're going to do Python. The Vim meetup looks very cool. I would like to check that out too. I'm one, not saying that I wouldn't go. I definitely would like to go and, and like check them out, but you know, just get all these people mm-hmm. to start. But see, that's what we need because mm-hmm. how many people don't, don't know about them? Yeah. And, and again, guys, like seven years ago, like there was nothing, like there was nothing. Wow. I think there was a Syracuse tech meetup at the tech garden, but most of that was more entrepreneurial. It was like not as nearly as technical. There was nothing. So it's amazing to see like all these, all these new uh, meetup groups and organizations mm-hmm. spring. Yeah, I don't think people realize, even now, though, sometimes with, like, the meetups that they're out there. When I went to the, my first one, and it was just a couple months before, so it was, about a, what, October, I think October, no, October-ish, maybe, of uh, 2018, and I went to the Open Hack one, and the, the only reason I found it was because I was frustrated with the whole online, trying to take, you know, the um, degree online type thing, and I'm like, there's got to be a better way to get through this because this class has nothing to do with coding that I can see right now. We're not even doing anything. And so I started just looking and researching and I came across this guy and he's like, Oh, I became a software engineer in nine months. And I'm like, shut the front door. How do you do that in nine months? Get out of here. And he just said, he started teaching himself at home and he went to meetups and, you know, would learn things. And I'm like, what the heck's a meetup? I'm like, oh, I live in Syracuse near, near Syracuse. And there probably aren't any. They're probably all in like the big cities, you know, like New York City or San Francisco or LA or Philadelphia or something. Mm -hmm. So when I found Open Hack, I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And it still took me like another month to even go to one because it was like completely out of my comfort zone and you know. yeah that could be a little intimidating right if if you're you know if, if it's outside your comfort zone and and, and it, it kind of circles back to imposter syndrome like out of the get-go right you know you oh, yeah. meet up, you're not a developer necessarily and there's all these technologists getting into like the nitty-gritty esoteric um, you know, coding stuff. And yeah, that can definitely be intimidating. So, it, and I give Mike Formal a ton of credit with OpenHack, how he's just been so oh, yeah. about being so welcoming and encouraging of new folks that are just kind of on, on the edges, right? That are kind mm-hmm. of what space is all about. Um, so he's done an awesome, awesome job with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and it does make a difference because I, I didn't know anything. I mean, like I didn't know any syntax. I didn't even know half the vocabulary. You know, people say something and I'm like, I don't know what that is. I need to look that up. You know, so even when I started cruising code, they're talking in class and they're talking about stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I'm going to have to look that up. 
and I would have to try and remember it or write it down or, you know, so that I could go back and be like, oh, okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, until we started, I, it was, I think it was Max's class and he went through a list. And so after that, I think pretty much each, each new instructor, you know, we would kind of do that at the beginning and that helped a lot, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you don't know anything. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But good. I mean, that's a great, that's great to hear that, Karen, how, um, and it took a lot of courage on your part to, to show up, right? Just to even, you yeah. know. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a real struggle for me. I'm very much a homebody introvert, like, you know, give me two or three people and I'm okay. Start getting into bigger crowds and uh, now my example, <laughs> I'm going to start kicking in and like, okay, I need to go home now. <laughs> yeah, well, congrats to you. I mean, you, you made it. You got, you got there, right? You, you, yeah. Got started, got going, but that's why it's so important to have to have these opportunities available to folks. So when they do see them and, and see what they're about, um, if they do if they do have the courage to kind of take that step and get exposure to it, you know those opportunities are there for them. If you would like to follow me on my personal learning curve journey, my website is kethorn.com, Instagram Karen Thorn, Twitter kthorn, and email contact at kethorn.com. Also, be on the lookout for JS Web Development LLC as I'm starting my own business. Twitter and Instagram are JS Web Dev. I'm working on a website that should be up soon, and that's jswebdevelopment.com. And you can always email me at jswebdevelopment at gmail.com. You can keep up with Kelly on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly2Earth and visit my personal website at kel.dev. Together, we are Salt City Code. You can follow along with the podcast at Salt City Code on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach out to us at saltcitycode at gmail.com. And remember, always keep it salty. salty.